welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. That was fun, right? It was fun seeing you guys. I figured they didn't put anything on the front row, so I just turned around and watched the madness. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad uh, <laughs> Molly, Molly and Mel said that they had both wanted to do an Easter egg hunt. They woke up this morning and said, we should do that. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Mike. And if you're new with us this morning, uh, we're so grateful that you're here, that you're celebrating Easter with us this morning. Uh, just for all of us, this is a very, uh, for the church, this is just a very special day. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Good Friday is, is um, uh, the day that Jesus was crucified, and, and then he's in the tomb, he's in the tomb, and we did a Good Friday service, and we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and then this morning is the morning that Jesus raised from the dead around 2,000 years ago. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, and we're in the middle of our mountain series, and it's normally on the Sermon on the Mount, but we're gonna be in Ezekiel, as Michelle read today, and but we're carrying the theme throughout. So each week we've said like, you are blessed, you are valuable, you are fulfilled. We're building character through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is building this kingdom character in us. And today we're gonna talk about being victorious. Um, actually, wait, let me get, Dave, where's Dave? Do you know where the, I just realized something's missing on my mic. You guys hear me blowing into it? No? Then it's just me. Um, so we're going to talk about you are victorious today. And, and this whole, like, we were just in, we were just in uh, Israel, in the Holy Land, in Palestine, in the West Bank. And like Michelle said, Seth, Missy and I, we, were, we went to the tomb. We went, and we went and saw the church of the Holy Sepulchre where, where Jesus' tomb supposedly is. And go in there, and there's like, I don't know, what was it, like a two-hour wait to get inside the tomb there and, and to, see, to see where Jesus isn't anymore. <laughs> and we were like, we're not waiting for this. We know where Jesus is. He's not in there. Like, what, what's the point in, in waiting in this two-hour line for this when we know where he is? He's in our hearts. He's in your heart. He's in, he's in heaven. His spirit is in us, and he lives in us. And we sang about all those things this morning, and, and we get to celebrate that today. And that is the crux of our victory. And so the cross without the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, is, is worthless. It's, it's nothing. It's in vain. It's just someone dying on a cross as a criminal being punished. But with the resurrection, it gives us a totally different understanding of what the cross is, and we're gonna talk about that this morning. So, Easter is, you got, yeah, sorry guys. You hear that, right? Am I the one that hears that? Let's see if I can stick this thing on here. Feels weird with you guys staring at me. Look, look behind or look to the side. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> yeah, there we go. 
<laughs> All right, perfect. Sorry about that. That's my fault. Okay. So Easter is a lot of, for in my life, a lot of good things have happened around Easter. Um, my parents were baptized on Easter way, way back when. My parents are here this morning. Um, my wife, Missy, became a believer, decided to follow Jesus around Easter. Um, Easter was a big moment in her life where, she, where the Lord just opened her eyes to, to a lot of things. Um, chocolate bunnies. I mean, come on, like candy, like a lot of good things happen around, around Easter. There's, there's some other things, but whenever I think about Easter, the first thing that pops into, mind, into my mind in my life is something else, and that's not a good thing. It's actually kind of a, a bad thing. So growing up, I was around 12 years old, and uh, we were celebrating Easter. It was one of my first Easter's as a follower of Jesus. And, and uh, we went over to our friend's house across the street from us to have Easter dinner afterwards, or Easter lunch, whatever it was. Afterwards, my friend Brandon and I, we went out to ride bikes together. And he wanted to race, and I didn't have my bike, so I used his sister's bike. And, uh, but I was like, I'm still gonna win, because this is bike, it, it, may have, it may as well have had like a basket and streamers on it. It was like, it was a road bike, which road bikes weren't cool back then, they're cool now. Like I, I have a road bike now, but they weren't cool back then when you're like 12 years old. You know, I wanted a BMX bike, which is what he had, and, and he was racing on that. So I, but I'm like, I'm still gonna beat you. So we got on this bike, and we're racing through the neighborhood, and I'm, I'm in the lead, and we had mapped out this whole course, so, we come around this corner and it was a cul-de-sac. So we come around the corner and we're supposed to go in there and cul-de-sac and then we, we would finish at his house. So I come around the corner and I'm going fast, like probably like 100K on my bike. I mean, <laughs> it was fast. And, and I go around the corner and I think I can make the turn without slowing down too much. And, and I'm, I'm going, I'm going, and I, I don't make the turn. And I run right into the opposite curb, run right into it, and go flying over the handlebars off my bike. Uh, there's a tree there, um, and it's, there's bricks around the tree, kind of in, inlaying the tree. And so uh, I fall, my shoulder hits the tree, uh, you know, I'm like, hit the ground, and he zooms by me. So I get up. And I get on my bike, and I start going, and I'm, and I'm trying to pick up speed again, and I feel like something tickling my leg. And I'm kind of like trying to run and brush off, and, and I feel like more and more, and I look down, and my knee is wide open. There's like blood pouring down my leg. My sock was white, now it's red. Um, and all of a sudden, my leg can't work, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I feel the pain. My leg, my leg doesn't work anymore. And I'm like dragging, crawling, and I'm yelling for Brandon. And he runs, and he, gets, he goes to get my parents. He goes to get my dad. And, and my dad, <laughs> I'm 12 years old. My dad comes strolling out, and I can see him. He's just like strolling, because he thinks, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. He fell off his bike. Like, nothing's probably actually wrong. So he comes strolling out, like, you know all slow, like, come on, get up, suck it up. Yeah, get up, you know, and he didn't say that, but look at him, he's like smiling back there. He's like, they're judging me. So, <laughs> yes, they're judging you. Uh, he comes out, and then, 
And he's like, he's like, come on, uh, you can get up and get back on your bike. And he, and then he sees my knee, and he's like, oh, oh gosh, and <laughs> like, he's like, ah, like running away, like what do I do? So he goes and gets the car, he picks me up, and he he takes care, and we go to the car, and I have seven, I had to get 17 stitches in my knee, like. The flap on my knee, like you could see the bone. Like it was, yeah, there was, you know, it was, it was bad. Um, and so 17 stitches in my knee. And thing is, so I'm in middle school and I had to use crutches for a while. And uh, I remember being in middle school and having this injury and this group of boys making fun of me. and just for having crutches, and they're saying I was weak, and I don't need crutches, and blah, blah, and they couldn't see the injury. And then, if you see today, I have a huge scar on my knee. It's in the shape of like a T-Rex. Uh, just, <laughs> yes, yes, it looks like a T-Rex. Um, I should have shown a picture for you guys. Um, it's got like those little arms. Uh, it, <laughs> she, she's, yeah, so anyways, she doesn't know. She. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's a huge scar, so I was always kind of self-conscious of it growing up, like the scar in my knee, um, and it looked hideous, and, uh, and, and then if you pinch my knees, there's less whatever on this knee than on this knee. So less cushion, I know our knees don't have that much cushion, but there's less on this knee. So playing sports and, and running and things, like every once in a while I have issues with this knee. Like there's just something a little off with it. Um, and, and, so, and I've just carried it around with me all growing up. Like it's, and so when I think of Easter, I always think of this incident. Although there's all these good things that happen around Easter in my life, the first thing I always think about is this, and I'm scarred for life because of it. I carry it around everywhere, and, and sometimes it hinders me from doing certain things. And growing up, it definitely did that, because I was really self-conscious about it. And, and some of us are like that in life, where we just, there's just this one thing that is hindering us. There's this one thing that has scarred us. There's this, there, and maybe it's multiple things for you, but there's something that, that you've carried around that it doesn't matter, all the good things can happen, but there's one bad thing that trumps all those things and that defines you now. And it, it, it gives you a certain mentality and outlook on life and, and maybe you're self-conscious about it. Maybe you feel ashamed by it. Maybe, maybe it's put you in this like little box in this prison and you can't shake it and it's this hideous scar, according to you, that's, that's on you, that you don't want anybody else to see, that you don't want anybody else to know about. And in this passage, that's exactly what's happening. And, and, I, and God wants you to see something different this morning. He wants you to see something new. He wants you to see that even in the worst of situations, God can redeem that to make that the best of situations. Even in the wreckage of your life, that may be the stage for redemption in your life. And that even God can turn a victim into a victor. And that's what I want us to take through this passage this morning as we look at it, that, that's, that sometimes 
we feel in this passage dead and dry and, and God is setting the stage for something spectacular and victorious in your life. So here's the bottom line for this one that we're gonna take through the entire passage. It's that your dry bones don't make you a victim. Now, you may be a victim. Something may have been done to you, but you don't have to stay there. That's the point of this morning because they may give you the potential to be a victor in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about, let's walk through this passage and talk, talk through that this morning. Um, Michelle, Michelle read this passage, so I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but we're gonna walk through it. It says in verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel speaking, the prophet. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones, death. And in verse two, he led me around among them and behold, there are very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Now, Israel at this point in history, the nation, it had been torn apart into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, was conquered by the, na- by the nation of Assyria, and it basically disappeared. So when you hear about the 10 lost tribes of Israel, that's when it happened. They're gone. Like They still haven't been found to this day. They've basically dispersed and disappeared. What's left is the southern kingdom, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, the, the other two tribes, and it's mainly called the tribe of Judah because it was a larger tribe. So, so you have this left, and, and Ezekiel is part of this, this people in the southern kingdom who is also being conquered and exiled and put in prison and oppressed by the Babylonians. So now Ezekiel is writing to this group of people, to the house of Israel, he calls it later on in the passage, who have been enslaved, who have been oppressed, who or being oppressed, and who have had everything taken away from them, home, lands, jobs, family, they've been separated from, and, and then God brings them to this valley. And so this passage is definitely about the house of Israel, but for us as the church, uh, we're, this applies to us as well because we are, when you look at the house of Israel, there's still, there's still someone in this valley. And God is using the church today to bring, to bring life back into the house of Israel. So this applies to us too. So now he brings Ezekiel down into this, and what do you think Ezekiel's thinking? They're in exile. Their lives are horrible. Like they can't see, they can't see hope at all. And what do you think he's thinking? He, uh, I mean, what would you think if you're Ezekiel and, and God brought you and, and you, you think, hey, God's gonna show me something awesome, but instead he brings you into a valley of dry, dead bones. And a lot of them, he says. I think God says to him, Son of man, can these bones live? So whatever you're thinking, whatever Ezekiel's thinking, now God poses a a kind of a ridiculous question. Ridiculous to us. He says, can these bones live? And look at what Ezekiel answers. He says, God knows, basically. He's like, I don't know, God knows. He's like, oh Lord God, you know. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, and, and if you think about Ezekiel, he's, he's feeling this. 
Right, this is an image, this is a picture of the house of Israel. This is a picture of, of himself. He's in this valley. He's among these dead, dry bones. And this is probably exactly how he's feeling. He's feeling hopeless. He's feeling despair. He's feeling that, um, that there's just nobody to help him. And this, maybe this is where you are this morning. Maybe you're in here this morning because it's Easter. Maybe you're in here this morning because someone invited you. Maybe you're in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and this is your church and you came this morning because you felt obligated because it's Easter. I don't know why you're here this morning. Maybe you came to celebrate, but you still have this like nagging thing in you and maybe this is you this morning. Maybe this is you in a valley of dead, dry bones. And maybe this morning you thought, I don't know, I wish God could show me some hope. And then God comes along and he says, can these bones live? And all you can say is, only you know. Only you know. I, I have no idea, God. That's what I would say. If I was, I'd be like, I have no idea, God. I don't know if these bones can live. And then he says something even more ridiculous to Ezekiel. He has him do something ridiculous. He says in verse four, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I'd be like, God, bones don't have ears. And then he says, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath in you. Do bones have lungs? Like this is, this is ridiculous. He says, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Bones don't have a body, God. These bones are just laying here on the valley floor. They can't do anything. And then God says in verse six, I will lay sinews upon you, will cause flesh to come upon you to the bones, cover you with skin, put breath in you, and you shall live and you shall know. You shall have a relationship with the Lord. What's amazing about this word breath is that it's the same word for spirit. So when God says earlier, or when Ezekiel says earlier that the spirit of the Lord set me down in the middle of the valley, that's the same word for breath. And so when he's saying that here, he's saying in verse six, I will put the spirit in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I'm the Lord. And that sounds ridiculous. And you may say right now, wherever you are, wherever you are in your, your walk of faith, you may say, that is so ridiculous, and you may be so far from God, you may be so dead and dry that you're saying, that's impossible. That can never happen. I can't see how God can make these bones myself live. There's just no way. Like I'm so far in a depression, I'm so far into, into the pit, I'm so far in a despair that I cannot see how God can, can restore this. I cannot see how God can do anything with me in this. And I don't know if Ezekiel actually believes it either. Look at what he says, starting in verse seven. He says, so, he's like, so I prophesied. <laughs> as I was commanded. Basically, I, I just did what I was told. I was commanded to do this, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And watch the beholds in here. And behold, it's like he's surprised. He's like, and behold, like, there was actually a rattling. 
Like the bones started coming together, bone to its bone. And I looked and, and behold, there was actually sinews upon them. What, what God just said is actually happening and flesh came upon them and skin covered them, but there's no breath. There's no spirit in them. And you see Ezekiel like getting excited and then, but actually wait, there's, there's no life. There's no breath. And, you, and it's almost like he's like, ah. Oh. And then God says to him, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. This morning, God is asking you to do something that looks foolish and ridiculous. God is asking you to hear his voice, to trust his voice, to obey his voice, and to step out in faith that he can make you live this morning. God is asking you to entrust yourself to him and watch him take your dry bones, put them together, put sinews on you, put flesh on you, put skin on you, and breathe life into you. And so this morning, we're, I, don't, I don't know where you are along this spectrum, but this morning God is saying, prophesy to the breath. God is saying, speak to the spirit and say, come and breathe in me. And it's just a step of faith. It's just, it's just words with belief saying, spirit, if you're real, if, if, if you can do this, I'm here. Wide open, come and breathe on me. Throughout the scriptures, God does this in multiple instances. So beginning in Genesis, God, Genesis chapter two, God breathes life into Adam. And then here, Ezekiel chapter 37, God breathes life into the house of Israel. Uh, John chapter 20, God breathes uh, the spirit of God onto his disciples. And then you see the result of that in Acts 1 and Acts 2. They're prophesying. These, these, the disciples, they start to prophesy, and those who follow God, sons and daughters start to prophesy and speak on God's behalf. And, <clears throat> and, and then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you see that the scriptures themselves, this very book, is breathed out by God. The spirit is, is all over this book. And God is saying to you this morning, allow me to breathe on you. Allow me to give you the breath of life. Allow me to, to put in you what was always supposed to be in you. But right now you're dead, you're dry, you're in the valley, and the only thing that can save you is me breathing on you. And so Ezekiel says in verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Why an army? That's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like why, why an exceedingly great army? What's, what would be the point of that? Why not a social club? Why not just a group of people? Or you know, why not a, a special interest group? I don't know. Why, why an exceedingly great army? Because we're at war because God is at war. 
because we are in this, Jesus is coming as the Messiah. He hasn't come yet. He's, he's coming as Messiah to rescue us because we're in this valley. Because we, at one point, if you aren't now, at one point, you were dead, dry bones. And God came in and breathed life into you. And for a lot of you guys, you might still be in that valley, dead, dry bones. And only Jesus can save us out of that. Only Jesus can, can show us the way out. Only he can breathe on us and give us life. And in verse 11 through 14 here, God speaks to him again, he says, then he said, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, we already talked about that, behold, they say, this is the house of Israel talking, they say this, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we're cut off. And they have this victim's mentality. They've given up hope. And here's the thing, Israel had somewhat of a right to have this mentality. Hey, they had someone of right to say, yeah, we're victims here. But they're also perpetrators. They'd also turn their backs on God. They'd also said no to God. And so, so God is saying, sure, you can have the mentality of the victim, but don't stay there when the might of a victor is available to you. He's saying, like, you, like this, what they say here, like yes, hope is lost, but there's actually new hope this morning that I can give you. And, and you see here recognition in the house of Israel to say, we can't do anything ourselves. We cannot get out of here, even if we wanted to, we can't climb these valley walls. We can't even put our bones together. We're just dead, lifeless, dry bones. And part of recognizing Jesus as victor is recognizing that you are not and that you can't do anything about it. And it's, it's saying, yes, God, there is no hope without you. There's no hope without you. I can't get out of this myself. And it's pouring yourself at the feet of Jesus, saying yes to Jesus, and Jesus breathing life into us. And that's, that's what he's about to say. He says, therefore, because of this, because you recognize this, in verse 12, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves. Resurrection and I'll raise you from your graves. Resurrection, oh my people, and I'll bring you in the land of Israel, restoration, and you shall know that I am the Lord, relationship. You'll know God when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, resurrection. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And this language here in verse 14 is, has already been mentioned in chapter 36 here. It's new covenant language, it's, <clears throat> It's the people, it's God saying, I will remove, I'll remove a heart of stone from your flesh and, and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll put my spirit within you in chapter 36 and you'll, and you'll hear, trust, and obey me. And so he repeats it here, he says in verse 14, I'll put my spirit within you, I'll put my breath within you and you shall live and I'll restore you and then, and then you'll be in relationship with me. The bottom line, put that back up there again. I want you guys to remember this, that your dry bones don't make you a victim. They don't make you one. Now, like I said, you may be a victim, but they don't make you that. 
they actually give you the potential to be a victor. And I want you to see that this morning, that whatever has happened to, to you in your life, whatever state you're in right now, you have the potential in Christ Jesus to be victorious. You have the potential to be a victor and not a victim. And that has nothing to do with you. That has nothing inside you. That's all to do with Jesus and what he's accomplished for you. And there's a victor theme all through the scriptures. All the beginning back in Genesis 3.15, we have the first messianic prophecy that someone is gonna come and rescue us. The world was perfect, sending it into the world. Now God says, don't worry. Someone's gonna rescue us from all this. And, and he's gonna crush the head of the enemy. And then Psalm 110, the psalmist writes that uh, the Messiah is gonna sit at the right hand of God the Father and his enemies are gonna be his footstool. So we have this victor theme and Psalm 110 is actually one of the most quoted passages in the New Testament. It's one of the most quoted from the Old Testament into the New Testament, that Jesus is victorious, that he's a conqueror, that he has conquered these things. And then you get to Ephesians 2 and Paul picks up on this and, and he says, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead, you were dry bones, you're in the valley, you worship the enemy, the prince and power of this air, the prince of darkness, and you were dead, there was no hope for you, but guess what? In Christ Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection, you are made alive in Christ. And then he says in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you're in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, guess what? You can put to death what is earthly in you and among you. You're a victor, you're a conqueror, that the sin that plagues you has been put to death and you can put it to death, that the burdens that are on you, you don't have to carry anymore. Jesus has carried those, that the things that have happened to you, they don't have to define you, they don't have to control you, they don't have to box you in. You're free from those things because you are victorious in Christ Jesus. And in Genesis chapter 49, there's a prophecy of the Messiah and it's given to Judah, the son of, one of the sons of uh, Jacob. And this is where the tribe of Judah comes from. And where it says the Messiah is the lion of Judah. And so Judah is given this blessing by his father Jacob, whose other name was Israel. So Israel gives him this blessing, and he says to him, the scepter shall not depart from your hand. A scepter shall not depart from the tribe of Judah. And when you think of scepter, we don't really have scepters today, but scepters are, they're a symbol of, for a king, they're a symbol of power, they're a symbol of authority, they're a symbol of victory, they're a symbol of, of conquering. And he says that scepter will be with you and your tribe forever. And the psalmist picks up on this, and the psalmist says that scepter, the scepter of our king, of the Messiah, is, is not what you think it is, it's actually righteousness. It's uprightness. It's walking in the right path. And then we have Jesus, the king of kings, crucified on a piece of wood, on a cross, a symbol of death, destruction, punishment, crime, sin, and he redeems it and becomes his scepter. And this morning, 
Jesus, his scepter, his symbol of power and authority and conquering and victory is the cross. It's not some, some bejeweled thing made of gold. and It's, it's a piece of wood that, that used to be a symbol of death and destruction, but is now a symbol of redemption and restoration. And this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, that's been accomplished for you. You don't have to live in that box anymore. It doesn't have to define you. You don't have to be ashamed. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You shouldn't even think about sin anymore. Like it shouldn't even be something that you think about. Jesus has conquered it. You're living freely. You shouldn't be worried about whether you're gonna mess up or not because, it, because Jesus has taken care of it. You just live in uprightness, in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this is what's offered to you. And it's weird. I know, if you're far from God, you're like, I don't get it. I, and, and Paul says in the New Testament that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are in the valley. We look at a symbol of death like this and we're like, it's foolish. That's the point. The point is we can't do it ourselves. And God took, took uh, the foolishness of man and made it the wisdom of God. Paul says that in, in um, the New Testament as well. And so I wanna invite you this morning to the cross and to the resurrection, and I want you to invite you to ask Jesus to breathe on you this morning and to give you the breath of life and the spirit of life because you are no longer condemned in Christ Jesus. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to live in shame. Thank you that we don't have to live in, in the things that have hurt us. Thank you that we don't have to live in the trauma of the past. Thank you that we don't have to live in uh, our scars of the past. Thank you that all we have to do is step forward, live in you. You have opened our graves. All we have to do is step out, but we're so, we're so scared, we're so content with living in our graves, Father, but you've opened them as your scripture said, and all we need to do is step forward. So I pray that we would step forward this morning and we would lay ourselves down before you and just say, come and breathe on us, Spirit. Come and breathe on us today. And I ask that for everyone in this room. They may not wanna ask it right now. And I pray that you would just breathe on us as a whole this morning and you'd show us something new this morning, that we are victorious because of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.